entrepreneurship is great, but can also seem overwhelming. Wouldn't you like to know the pros, opportunities, and problems with different business and investment strategies before you jump in? Well then, welcome to Entrepreneurship Exposed. Always my favorite music playing. I love it. <laughs> Let's go. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of Entrepreneurship Exposed. It's almost a tongue twister. Entrepreneurship Exposed. Let's go <laughs> with your guy Bees, where we talk about everything related to entrepreneurship, all the strategies out there, all the things you need to know about being an entrepreneur, always with a twist of business acquisitions because it's my favorite investment It's the best type of investment to get into but i know i say that enough today <laughs> today we have a great guest again jacqueline shaddock i could never pronounce the name properly at the end <laughs> it's, and it's so simple but I, but she's just an amazing person we met i want to say it was at the uh, ted talk oh, 2021 Something like that. Yeah. Like, 2021 yeah. or maybe it was 2022. I forget. But it's been a while now, right? And since then, I've just been amazed by what you've been doing. So Jacqueline, welcome to the show. And can you tell the people a little bit more about yourself? Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for having me, Bees. Yeah, it's been a year or two since we've been connected. And I know we initially connected based on, well, it was me seeing you speak. And I was like, oh, he's talking my language because one of the initial ways that I built my own personal wealth is by doing some small business acquisitions. Okay. I, mm. I called them small business flips because I no longer own the businesses. But hearing him talk about it, I was like, oh, I've been through that process and he's teaching it. That's amazing. So that was how we initially connected. But I'm known as the generational wealth expert. I'm a certified financial planner. And so the reason why I'm the generational wealth expert is because because not only have I lived through my family owning a thousand acres, uh, but I've also lived through us losing that generational wealth piece. That was some property that had been passed down for multiple generations. And uh, long so we can get into it if we want, but my family mm. lost all of that property and uh, subsequently lost all of the money from the sale of the property. And so wow. I went on a mission to earn that money back. And so during that mission, which is not as beautiful as I make it sound now, it was actually really difficult. But during that process, I became a certified financial planner. And so now I help other people secure generational wealth for their families as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you have an amazing story. And I love how that inspired you to to get to where you are now. But explain that part to me, right? Or not to me, but to the audience. Because often there's there's a ton of people online and whatnot and they're like oh yeah i'm a financial guru or i i can help you be you know build your wealth yeah. and blah 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 but it's a different thing to be a certified financial planner mm -hmm. right can you explain what that really means in some of the series or, or some of the certifications that you have that make you a certified financial planner Mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly, when I was like, oh, I'm going to become a CFP, I decided to do that because my mother was taken advantage of by a financial advisor. OK, so this financial advisor is what I would consider to be a salesman. I think that if you work for one company and you sell products for one company, that makes you a salesman in my eyes. Right. And mm -hmm. so I became a certified financial planner because I knew that a certified financial planner was somebody who one had taken a fiduciary oath, meaning that you take this oath to work in your client's best interest. Mm. But also it's an individual who has gone through these, you know, multiple categories of 
personal finance and understands how they all work collaboratively, right? So this is an individual who understands how life insurance or car insurance works with taxes that you pay, works with the retirement account money that you put in, works with the generational wealth plan that you have, works with your estate planning, right? And goes on and on to all of these different purses, pieces of personal finance. So when I realized that a certified financial planner was somebody who knew about those things, I decided to pursue that. And in order to do that, it took me 14 months of having no social life after I graduated college. (laughs) And then I took an eight hour exam. And luckily I was able to pass on the first time, but I passed that eight hour exam, which tested me on all these theories about doing Roth conversions and all types of numbers and everything Mm -hmm. so that I could help other people. And I did it because I wanted to make sure that I was knowledgeable about all of these areas, but I'll be really frank and y'all can throw tomatoes at me if you want other advisors, but other advisors who are not certified are not playing on the same level as those who are. I'm just going to put it out there. They don't have the same training. They haven't been through all of the rigorous experience required. Like you have to have three years as a financial advisor before you can even call yourself a certified financial planner, even if you've passed Mm. the test. So you have to have a bachelor's degree. You have to have gone through their coursework. You have to have had three years of experience, right? But anybody can really go sit for what's called a series 65, which Mm. takes usually two to three months and then call themselves a financial advisor with little to no experience. So Mm. being certified is something that I've honestly learned over my 10 years of this is something that actually matters to the person that's helping you handle your family's wealth. Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, I often say that if the person you're learning from whatever topic, if, if you look them up on LinkedIn and they're not on LinkedIn, or they don't have, you, you see that, oh yeah, I've just been hustling to do this and I, you know, I've had some success. So now I want to teach other people or do it for other people. That's a different thing from someone who's trained on the, the service that they're providing for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's extremely important for people to look at the background, look at the certification, look at where they did it to on a larger scale potentially, Mm -hmm. maybe in corporate America already for a larger company, whatever it may be. Look at those things before you put your trust and towards someone to help you with those things. Yeah, because I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now is people taking a lot of financial advice from like other coaches and stuff online. Even people who are not like even claiming to be advisors or something. People are taking financial information from them based on things that they've done, which is Mm. cool, but I'm seeing a lot of misinformation because what that one person had for them as a resource or what worked for them or how they do things isn't the same way that's going to work for you. So you need somebody who has experience working with a lot of different types of situations, because if you have somebody who just had some success in their situation, they can't tell you what works best for you because they only know from a lens of what worked for them. Right. So I, I, you're getting me riled up first thing first, because (laughs) I just see a lot of things really poorly for a lot of people because you're just not getting proper advice. No, for sure. For sure. I understand. And I get riled up about that too, because it it happens way too much. Right. But Mm -hmm. you know, that's why we got things like entrepreneurship exposed and we got Jacqueline Shattuck here to give you the low down, the real truth behind everything. So talk a little bit more. Or now about 
the different types of financial, like the the, the 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 exams and certifications. What are some of the major ones? You said sixty five is the easy one that like anybody could get type of thing. But what, you know, what are some of the other ones that's important to see? Yeah. So when you're evaluating working with a financial advisor, our industry is a little bit different. And I was just telling a client that I've actually traveled to Australia. I did this a few years ago to study their financial system. And I almost lived there, I almost moved there because I just liked the way they had everything established a lot more. But so when you're evaluating a financial advisor, one of the things that you'll want to look at is their experience, right? So what licenses do they hold? So we call a lot of the licenses in our space series exams, okay? So you have series in, in the six range is what's going to be common. So 63, 65, 66, those are very common ones. And the 65 is the one specifically that allows you to be an investment advisor. Okay. So let you just mm. let you start advising on stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Okay. So you'll see a lot of people will have the 65. Okay. For those who have gone through the certified financial planner process, the way that that works is that basically allows you to bypass taking the 65 exam, which is like a three hour exam because you've taken a seven hour CFP exam and it mm -hmm. encompasses the information that's also on the 65. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah. So you'll want to evaluate that specifically me in my case, I'm also an accredited wealth management advisor. So what certification that means is that I went on to the, the CFP qualifies you to work with people who have, you know, net worth is honestly for people who already have net worths of like a million to maybe three million. So the accredited wealth management advisor certification is the process that I went through. It took me about a year to get that one. And it was a three hour exam. And that qualified me to work with people who have net worths of five million and up. So that's where we, we focus on some more of the complicated trust that you can create, right? Like the dynasty trust. So for people who are like, well, I want to make sure that my money lasts for my great grandkids. That's a dynasty trust. Okay. Yeah. So we set that up so that we're looking, think about it. Honestly, dynasty is more of, I think of Chinese when I hear dynasty because <laughs> they really, they really worked in dynasties throughout their history. And so yeah. the dynasty sets up the trust so that, you know, your, your kids get this, your great kid, your grandkids get this, your great grand, and it goes on and on and on. Right. So those yeah. are the kinds of things that I'm learning and that I learned inside of the accredited wealth management advisor certification. Right. And so I am implementing that for my clients who do have net worths of 5 million and up. So as you're evaluating a financial advisor, you definitely want to look at their qualifications. Okay. Mm -hmm. So of course, looking at their licenses, look at the experience that they have, Five yep. years is usually pretty solid, right? And so even for me, I also hold my life insurance and health insurance licenses. So that's mm. helpful because what happens is you're getting a non-biased opinion because not only can I help you with the life insurance, figure out how much you need and actually make the purchases, but I can also help you evaluate, okay, well, what if I do insurance versus what if I do this in the stock market, right? So you're working with somebody who has multiple qualifications, who can give you a big picture advice, a big picture look at things, because when you work with somebody who just has maybe one certification or one qualification, they're probably overlooking all the areas that need to be encompassed in your financial plan.
Yes, yes, yes. So I see, I hear, you know, uh, investments while you're alive, the active, active investments that you can get into and what's the best strategy for your situation. And then I hear how to protect that money going forward that through things like trust, maybe through infinite banking and different things that could protect it and also maybe help you in the tax, tax situation. Yeah. Now, so you mentioned in, in terms of the, the, the former, which is the investments that you could get into, you mentioned like stocks and things, but do you also go into like real estate or business acquisitions as part of those that investment strategies for your clients? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So if you guys click on my Instagram page, you'll see in my bio that I'm helping you build wealth in non-traditional ways. So mm -hmm. the stock market was a really cool way to build wealth like 100 years ago. <laughs> and that was like the only option that we had. So now we have a lot of options that can grow your money that much faster, right? So through business acquisitions, that's one way that you can grow your wealth a lot faster than an average 10% return in the stock market. Because the way that I explain it to people is it's twofold, right? You have your wealth creation phase and you have your wealth management phase, all right? Mm -hmm. Working with a financial advisor is for your wealth management phase. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I'm not average. As y'all can see, I don't even look <laughs> like the average financial advisor. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to tell you, Hey, these are other ways that you should build wealth. And to be honest, that was birthed out of, I used to do consulting for multiple advisory firms. And I oh. did that because I wanted to know what these advisors who've been doing this for 20 and 30 years, like, what are y'all doing? What are y'all telling people? Yeah. I wanted to know. So I was like, the only way to know is to go work with them. So I would go work with them and I would say, hey, what's your guys' process? What are you guys telling people? And yeah. most of them don't know very much about the wealth creation phase because a certified financial planner is certified in the wealth management. So yeah. they're going to tell you how to keep your wealth. They're not really going to help you to create it. So yeah. I am helping to lean in for people because people who look like us need to be on the wealth creation side right? Wealth yeah. management is cool if you've already made it. But for the most part, we look at the numbers. We look at net worth for us going to zero in 20 years or whatever that BS is that somebody wrote. Mm. We need to be on the wealth creation side. Mm. So as an advisor, I'm going to propel you toward the wealth creation side as much as possible. So basically, my threshold is about 50 years old. Okay. At about 50 years old, we need to be talking about more wealth management style of things. But what I will say to entrepreneurs out there, people who are doing business acquisitions, people who are being very risky with their money, I will tell you, let's determine your financial independence number now. So mm -hmm. what I mean by that is let's just say you turn 65 and none of the investments you made prior to that work, none of the business acquisitions worked out because you didn't follow B strategy. You try to do it on your own. <laughs> Nothing else that you tried to invest in worked. Okay. But what will work for you is steady monthly paycheck into your stock portfolio up until age 65. So let's figure out what that number is. If that number is 200 or 500 because it's a small number, it depends on your age, right? Let's figure out what that number is that you need to put into the stock market no matter what, okay? And then from there, we know what else we have to work with. So that that's your worst case scenario. So worst case scenario is... You put in three to five hundred dollars a month into the stock market, and at sixty-five, you get to retire no matter what. Because the worst thing that can happen, honestly, is that you get to sixty-five, and all of your friends and other people that you work with, and people you talk to, and your siblings, everybody's retiring. Nobody's working anymore. 
They're all retiring. They're maybe watching over their businesses, but they're, you know, they, they're pretty lax. They don't have this high level of stress anymore. You don't want to get to 65 and have no other option. Mm, that is the truth. That is the truth. And that time flies by way quicker than most people realize. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so tell me this though. So I, I feel, and I think it's true and I've mentioned it a lot the three major ways of creating wealth in this country, in this world, you actually kind of said them anyway. One is real estate. Two is the financial markets. That's stock, Forex, even crypto now and and others, right? And then three, owning a business, whether you buy it or build it, owning a business. So those are the three major ways of creating wealth, like real wealth, not just making some money here and there. If you agree with that, and if, you, if there's something else that you want to add on to it, one of my well students who became a coach in the BBI, he actually convinced me that, well, add a fourth one there, and that's insurance policy, because you can create wealth with your insurance policy, the way that he showed me. And oh yeah, because you use infinite banking and you can pull out of it in order to get investments and not be taxed and all of that. So, to, so tell me, one, what's your favorite way? And I know it's going to be unique to situations but your favorite method of creating wealth and how do you see that being affected by the potential collapse of the U S dollar that's coming? Mm, Good question. So I'll say this, the entire IRS tax code can't have everything wrong. Okay. And if you're looking at the IRS tax code, the IRS tax code was written for two kinds of people. It was written for real estate owners, written for property owners and yep. it was written for business owners. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Very so, well said. <laughs> that that that's the right side of the tax code. So if you're feeling like you're getting screwed by taxes, that means you're on the left side of the tax code. Okay? Oh, I love this. <laughs> you need to be on the right side of the tax code, okay? So as it comes to my favorite strategy to building wealth, I think that those two are are top tier. Okay. So being able to build wealth using real estate strategies and being able to use businesses is my favorite. Okay. Now the stock market comes into play with a lot more of your wealth management. And I mean, I make stock market, I make money in the stock market every day. I love that as well because it doesn't require me to really do very much. I don't have any employees. I don't have anywhere I got to show up to no keys. I got to copy. Like I can make money in the the stock market without doing a whole lot. Cause I learned that about me early. I still have some properties, but specifically when I had this one duplex and I was like, I don't want to deal with any of these problems at all. So yeah, even, with my man- yeah, even with my management company, I was like, I don't, I don't want any of these problems. And I leaned a lot heavier into making money in the stock market. Okay. So we talked about this on live. And if you guys missed that Instagram live, I need you to go on there, turn on the notifications for us. So you guys can know when we're going live because we talked about what's happening with the U S dollar. Okay. And so what we talked about is that what's happening right now is really cyclical in history. So it's common that, you know, whoever is at the top of the food chain, isn't always at the top of the food chain economically speaking. Mm -hmm. And so for the US, we're not top dog anymore. Now, does that mean that we're just worth nothing now? No, absolutely not. We're still going to follow down our same path of building wealth, right? We're Mm going to keep doing that. 
is in terms of how you're investing in real estate, the U.S. dollar here in, in the U.S. is not going to change a whole lot. Yeah. Same with the businesses, right? These are still two very stable ways for you to make more money. All right. And I'll be honest, same thing with the stock market. I know it may not seem like it, but 90% of the stock market is owned by the top 1%, our BlackRock and Vanguard and people, a lot of people don't know, but they own basically everything in the US, okay? So I'm gonna be honest, if y'all think that they're going to let it fail, meaning that you'll never get your money back that you put in the stock market, I think you would be poorly mistaken. So no matter what our US dollar does, I still think that you investing, because a lot of our companies that are here in the US are global, right? Like Walmart, biggest company in the world. That's a domestic company though. So a lot of our companies that operate here in the US operate globally as well. So it's Mm. still good diversification for you. So I would still say putting money into real estate, buying businesses and investing money into the stock market so you can have something passive that you can easily pass to your family and that you can easily liquidate and access if you need it. Those are still really, really great ways to build wealth. Okay. now life insurance is another tool, but that's a whole nother tangent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) A whole other tangent. So, So tell me now, then talk a little bit about those acquisitions that you did you said you did two acquisitions prior right three Uh, Mm -hmm. three can you explain a little bit more about that yeah so i got into doing that because i realized early on that what a lot of wealthy people did was they worked their nine to five jobs and they made you know early i'm talking about early six figures like less than a quarter million and what they would do with the excess money that they had come and i'll be like let's be completely frank they start making really good money they, they buy their starter home early, they get married, they upgrade their home, they realize that they've got some good money coming in, and they're like, all right, well, what do I do with this other money that I have coming in? Stock market is cool, but is there another way that I could maybe grow my wealth mm-hmm. a little bit quicker? And so they look at business acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I went on biz buy sell and was able Ooh. to come across some <laughs> opportunities that were in my price range and they were small you know i'm talking about under a million dollars and anything considered small in the u.s is under like 23 million so yeah yeah so under a million is i guess extra extra small (laughs) (laughs) extra micro so they were small but the key in i think building wealth and doing the business flip is what percent return can i make like Mm. if i can make 500% return, right? That's so much better than honestly me putting money in the stock market and getting, you know, 20% return. Mm. If I get 500% return on my money, like, and I can do it without really coming out of pocket, like, y'all don't really know my my numbers over here, but I love to get big assets for no money down. Oh, yeah, there we go. (laughs) That's my favorite. It's a game, right? So if you're, If you're looking at, okay, I want to acquire a business, let's figure out how you can get it for basically no money down. Like I want to say my first business, I mostly, I came out of pocket. It was like a $300,000 business. I came out of pocket, definitely less than three grand. 
okay. to buy that business. Like, and I pretty much just paid like my attorney's fees because I want to make sure everything was done properly. Even though I knew how to do everything, I wanted to make sure I had a team around me yeah. so everything was being done properly. So I hired an accountant to go through the books. I hired, of course, I had my business broker, and then I hired an attorney to you know set up the entities, make sure everything was transferred properly, and so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I did it. So if you guys are interested in doing that, like I would just say, let's make it a game to figure out how you can do it without coming out of pocket anything. That's the best part. It's so much fun. That's why I'm always smiling because <laughs> when you come across a new business that, I, you know, I come across businesses that I didn't even know existed. And it's weird yeah. saying that yeah. because it's things that's common, but you never thought of it as a business. And then you <laughs> see it for sale and you're like, wow. I remember the first time I saw a tow truck company. I was like, damn, why didn't I think of that? Tow truck company, that's awesome. No, you know, you know what I thought about? A pressure washing business. I was like, pressure what? Washing you you yes. go around with a pressure washer to these businesses and just yes. thousands of dollars to yes. wipe off the dirt? Like, okay. And you may not think of that on your own to go start it. But exactly. when you're looking at like biz by sell or something and you're like, oh, I never thought of this one. Oh, you know what? That could be really exactly. not recession proof, but recession profitable. Right. Yeah. We want those type of businesses. Oh, let me yeah. try this. And when you did yours, did you do the traditional route with SBA 7A loans? So still no money out of your pocket, but maybe PGing for it because you got to go through the SBA. Yep. That's exactly how I did it. And I mean, I just lucked up and I had really like lucked up. I mean, it was intentional that I had good credit, but I'll say yeah. this. I learned early on that like having good credit is cool, right? Because I went down the the credit rabbit hole at 19 years old. And so by the time I came around buying small businesses, I had really great credit. Like I had a really great credit profile. And that's kind of like finance 101. It's like, okay, get really great credit. But then I started to learn. I didn't learn this from the certified financial planner designation. Because remember, that's teaching you wealth management. Management. That's not teaching you wealth creation. So then I kept looking at my very perfect it wasn't an 800 because I wasn't old enough, but it was like a 780, like 770 credits. I kept looking at it every like month or so. I'm looking at this 780 and I'm like, okay, cool. Like I got a 780. It's going to go to 800 eventually. It's going to have to. But what do I do with this now? Like I should be able to leverage my 780 to do something. Yeah. And so that was when I started looking at. You know, I was buying small businesses, but I also bought a whole bunch of cars that I rented on Toro. <laughs> I had learned to buy cars, you know, with no money down. Yeah. And the, back in the day, the auto financing was a lot easier. It was a yeah. lot more simpler yeah. than they are. They're making it more complex now, but it was so much more simpler. So yeah. the first step, if you guys are listening, your first step is, I would say, get your credit straight. If you're trying to yeah. figure out how to do this, with basically no money. And when I say doing it with no money down that doesn't mean that you don't have any money you need to save some money like you're gonna you're gonna need some money yes we can figure out how to piece things together for you creatively but you gotta have some money to fall back on you can't actually do this with no money so you need to be focused on building a really strong credit profile and you need to be saving money in the meantime right so for me i and i told this to somebody else i've never signed an apartment lease before because oh. it just didn't make sense to me. So mm-hmm. I rented rooms up until I bought my second property. And oh, then yeah. I bought the second property for me to move into. But I I rented rooms up until that point. Because I was like, well, I could rent a room from somebody for five or $700. Or rent a basement. I know it sounds crazy. But it was a nice basement. I rent mm-hmm. a nice basement from somebody. I have my own space. But I'm spending a third of what everybody else is spending. 
And so then I'm able to take that other money and go reinvest it. So it's Mm -hmm. not glamorous. And I'll be honest, I'm glad I I don't have to do it now. But those years that I suffered through that, I only had to suffer through that for like six or seven years, which sounds like a long time. But with yeah. B's help or my help, we can e- exponentiate the process. That. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I did that suffering process for six or seven years, but I did that because I, I hadn't learned how to implement this quote that I heard. And the quote, I can't remember who said it at this point, but the quote is frugality is founded in the principle that all riches have limits. So when I heard that, I was like, wait, 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 run that back again. (laughs) Reality is founded in the principle that all riches have limits. So finance 101 is frugality, is don't spend any money. And I started to learn when I heard that quote, I was like, wait, founded in the principle that all riches have limits. If you think that your riches have limits, then you don't believe in abundance. And if you don't believe in abundance, then you believe that you're limited. So I was like, hmm, I don't want to make my money limited. So how do I take that next step? Mm -hmm. And how do I break free from that? So frugality is not what I push as a financial advisor. I know a lot of them do, but that's not what that's your Dave Ramsey. That's not what we're pushing here because Mm -hmm. we're not pushing a lack. We're not pushing scarcity. We're pushing abundance. So we've just got to figure out how to set you up to get you on that launch pad, to get you on that trampoline so that you can then go the way that you're trying to go but yeah people see me now and it looks glamorous but they don't understand like i sacrificed for years Mm, definitely definitely so now in doing the way that you acquired it was still no money out of your pocket because you did like the sba 7a loan Mm -hmm. but you are familiar obviously with LBOs, leverage buyouts, mm-hmm. and how you can structure deals in ways that you don't need credit, don't need cash. But I love how you said earlier that even when people say you don't need cash, you still need some cash because <laughs> you know I would never tell anybody to acquire a business in their individual name. You got to acquire it in a in some sort of SPV, special purpose Absolutely. vehicle. So Absolutely. in the very least, you need money to set up one of those. It's not expensive. It's not difficult. But mm-hmm. when people say no cash, it means yeah, as long as you have certain other things, you still want a, a, an attorney that you could pay. You can find a, an inexpensive one just to write up contracts for you. You may want them to do some legal due diligence, but maybe maybe you're acquiring a laundromat and there's not that much that they need to do for legal due diligence, but you want them to write the contracts. So there's always some cash, right? But my question to you, have you or do you want to do like a large LBO where you can get a $5 million business, for example, with no money out of your pocket. Is that something that you would want to do or you kind of staying away from it? I would need a really good partner that's not requiring me to do a lot of the heavy lifting because I learned that I really needed to be in alignment with what it was that I wanted to do in particular, right? So I have acquired a very special, what's that? What is his name? Y'all know, put it in the comments. A special set. I have a very special set of skills. Okay. <laughs> what's his name again? From what is his name? the guy he was chasing, chasing his daughter and things. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. <laughs> yes. There you go. Okay. So for me, my situation is different, right? Because I have acquired a very special set of skills, skills that allow me to make seven figures a year. Yeah. So for a lot of people, I'll be quite frank, you don't have that same skill set. You can acquire that, and I acquired mine over time. But for some of us, 
buying a business can be a launch pad to that. It can be, it can make that that much easier. Yeah. So I decided to take a step back from business acquisition so that I could be in alignment with my special set of skills that I was building. Okay. So that was just me. That was me on a focus level, but mm. I'm getting back to a space where I feel like I'm doing pretty well. I feel like I have been in alignment with what I've been trying to do for several years now, and it's growing. I've been able to help a lot of people and accomplish a lot of things that were on my bucket list. So I feel like yeah. I could cir circle back to an LBO. I feel like I'm starting okay. to get in that space again where I could potentially take one on like late this year or sometime next year is kind of when I'm seeing that, that gap opening. Okay. Okay. Well then <laughs> team, we have a special gift for Jacqueline, right? Let's put it up on the screen for her right now. <laughs> so I don't know what industries you'd be inter interested in, mm -hmm. but the, my deal board, you know, my team looks for different things. They look at your background. They're like, well, she's in finances and, you know, maybe billing. Everybody loves medical in terms of what you could do with growth with it. So we found this one. Now this is, it's still, like you said, this is still a small business at $9 million valuation, right? Mm -hmm. However, it's you know a little bit higher than some people when they're getting their first major acquisition may start. Some people start more around the under $3 million range. But this one, medical billing company, $9 million asking price. They're, I should probably should have not put, oh no, no, we do have it there. Their EBITDA is 1.3. Now, a lot of times business owners don't understand there's a difference between cash flow, EBITDA, and SDE, there's a, it, they're close to each other, but they mm -hmm. those are two those are three different actual calculations and such. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times listings have it where they say cash flow, but they mean SDE or EBITDA, and that's their profit. So, so over over one point, well, let's say over a million in EBITDA. So that's what's being kept. Established in two thousand four, so that's what 17, 18 years or something. Mm, healthy, um, almost yeah, almost twenty years. Healthy business, almost 20 years. And if I remember correctly, there's about 40 employees in here. Do you think this might be something you would be interested in? Mm, <laughs> it's a medical billing company. Mm -hmm. It's been around for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Their asking price seems a little high to me. So, you know what? There's one thing missing here. One... It's coming with about 1.2 million in FF&E, furniture, fixtures, and equipment, so that you know that flips it a little bit. Two, there's actually real estate included this in this one. Ah, there we go. So the real estate is what adds up. So they're multiple right now. If you were just looking at the asking price versus the EBITDA, you know, you're looking at eight point something multiple. Medical does have higher multiples once you get into the one to five million, and then above five million range, it skyrockets rockets even more. But I'll get you. This is a gift for you. We're going to give you the details of this one. When I say well, gift, I don't mean that I'm acquiring it for you. I'm saying. Right, <laughs> right. I think you have you have to have searched for businesses before on your own to understand why this is a gift. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Team, you could take it down, but we're going to send this one to you, Jacqueline. And if it's something that you need help with at all, you got me for sure. But, uh, you know, other than that, it's, we're going to give you all the contact information and more details so that you can evaluate it and see if it's a path that you want to go down. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm actually going to evaluate it. And I have other people who ask me all the time for other business opportunities. So 
I'll see if I want to keep it for myself or. Fans <laughs> <laughs> of the law, no problem for sure. Okay, so now we know that you've acquired already using no money out of pocket. You've done it through the same way somebody could go buy real estate. You go to the bank and get the SBA. Well, you go you go to the bank and get a mortgage for real estate. Same way you get to go to the bank and get an SBA seven A loan for a business acquisition. The 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 uh, LBOs are just a little bit different, and you can avoid going to banks and using your own cash in some of those deals. If you meet with 20 people, 20 different sellers, maybe you only get three of them that work out to be you know, full LBO style and whatnot, but that's three multi-million dollar companies, so it's definitely worth it. Now, I think I've told you about this before, Jacqueline, and this book and how it changed my life. Have you gotten it yet? Or did you know about it before? I've, re- I've read the cliff notes. Okay. This book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun Story of Reginald Lewis, his daughter actually came and spoke to my community recently. Oh, this wow. billionaire's daughter, who's a billionaire herself as well, came and spoke to the community. And she told me that her father would be proud of me. And Aww. she said that his actual words, because he died in the 90s, mm-hmm. uh, his actual words would be, go on with your bad Go ahead with your bad self. <laughs> <That's what she> <laughs> <said>. <laughs> and, and that, it really meant a lot to me. Because not only was he uh, a mentor to me without him knowing me, me knowing him personally, but his message, his example as who I call like the Jackie Robinson of business, his example is another way for our community, the black community to rise, to have those opportunities to grow wealth before you could get the management side of it too, right? So what do you, how do you feel about that in the LBO style that, you know, he set the example for that can be done? And it's not like he created it either, but he set the example that we can do it too. What do you mm-hmm. think that, that message means to the, to the black community overall when it comes to wealth creation? Mm, it means a lot. And I'll say this, my firm now, we have a little over 400 clients and 90 something percent of them are black. And in order to be a client, you typically, it's, it's kind of rough, but most clients have to have a quarter of a million dollars for us to help them manage. Mm -hmm. And so what that tells me is there's a lot more money in our community than the media wants us to believe. So I will say that, like, I don't know who came up with this stat of, you know, the black net worth is going to zero by 2053. I don't know who came up with that stat because I only see black wealth, you know, and some of it is my, I've programmed my mindset for positivity. And I'm not saying that I don't see people who aren't, don't go there people, but I am saying that I see a lot of room for us to continue making money for us to continue building wealth. And y'all know why that's important because that is the key to peace of mind, to freedom, right? That is what gets you the access to participate in healthcare that you may need, right? And that's just what lets us live our lives. And so I see a lot of space for us to continue building wealth. So I have a friend, quick digression, I have a friend who is, he builds the tiny homes, the techie homes. Uh, Um, I don't know if you know Booker Washington. 
which is his name actually. Like but T. Washington? Like that's that's his name. Okay. <laughs> he's not him, but he is him. <laughs> and uh I have to tell him I mentioned him here. So he is actually doing a, a project in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so you guys know why that's so important because yeah. of Greenwood. Wall Street, yeah. yeah. And so I bring that up because I actually used to live in Tulsa. I mm. lived there for two years on and off. And the reason why I decided that I couldn't settle there and I ended up settling in Atlanta is because energy is real. And when you're in Tulsa, that whole city, that whole entire area is plagued by what happened. And when you go there, you can see the major discrepancy in wealth between black people and white people. And I knew I didn't want to grow up in that kind of a space because I was like, I don't want to be in a space that's limited where everywhere you go, it's like, Oh, you're the black person who's doing decently. Well, like mm-hmm. I didn't want that. I was like, eh, I don't want to be in that. Right. And so that's why I settled in Atlanta. And so I think that what we're doing is we're conditioning a lot of us to think that there's not enough money for us to think that we can't create wealth, to think yeah. that these opportunities out aren't out here for us to just buy a business and have cash flow the next day. Right. Yeah. They don't want us to know that it is possible. And so if we keep buying into that narrative and we keep accepting that, that's what we're going to get. Mm. And so that's why, like, I'm not even doing podcast interviews right now, but I came out for you you. because this message is important. And I'm going to keep going on that same tangent. But seriously, though, like, don't let other people condition us into believing that wealth isn't for us. You know, and that's that's the premise of his book. And that's your when you when Jacqueline says don't let other people convince you, that's your family too, your family, your friends, your 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 neighborhood, your culture. You know, I'm Jamaican, and in the Caribbean culture, there's a lot of things I was taught like that. Like, no, 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 you can't don't even think about no trust like no just focus on the realistic stuff like what that is realistic are you gonna tell me that not to go forward with that but you know what i was told about the credit card pardon me you know what i was told about the credit card what credit's bad for sure and i wanted to go get it so Mm. when i wanted to go get a credit card right so i was 19 and i was like i want to get a house one day and i think to get a house you need something like credit or something like i have no idea so what do I do? I ask my natural market. I ask my mom and I ask my aunt. I'm like, hey, I think I want to build credit, something about a credit card or something. So my mom says, you know, I finally get her on the phone. So I didn't live in the same city as her. So I call her, get her on the phone. I'm like, hey, mom, I think I want to build credit or something. Like I need to go get a credit card or I, I don't really know. And she was like, oh, oh, I'll tell you what you need to do. So I pipe up and on the phone with her. I'm like, All right, cool. She's going to tell me what I need to do. So what do I do? She said, all right, you go to the bank. I said, all right, go to the bank. She said, you get a credit card. I said, get the credit card. She said, yeah, okay. So you take that credit card, you come home, you take the credit card itself, you put it in a bowl of water. This is when I stopped taking notes. I was like, put it in a bowl of water. She's like, take the credit card, you put it in a bowl of water. You take the bowl of water, you put it in the freezer, and you freeze the credit card, and you never touch it. And that's when I stopped taking notes, and I was like, okay, thanks, mom. Figure it out. And I was like, I'm on my own. Love you, mom, but I'm on my own. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I gotta go figure this out because I know that I haven't gone to my wealthy friends' houses and seen bowls of water frozen in their freezer with yeah. credit cards. So that can't be it. And so for me, I just ended up going to Bank of America and they kind of gave me a credit card and I was set on my way. But yeah, that's the story that you don't want. Like yeah. <laughs> putting it in a bowl of water in the freezer. 
And we've all heard those type of things. Oh I think God. I've heard that one before too. Now that you're mentioning it, I think someone has said something to me like that. Like, yeah, just put it in the freezer and no, don't never touch it. That way, at least you have one. But and you could it'd be there for emergencies. But we don't realize that. Well, no, use it while you know use it daily, but responsibly. Mm-hmm. There was some Apple just released its new Apple savings card. account. Oh, savings account. They released a savings account that gives you four point something mm-hmm. uh, interest, right? Which is not even one of the best uh, rates. We know that banks typically give you less than one percent, but there's mm-hmm. some banks out there that give you like five, six, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. However, we don't know none of them, but we know Apple. So everybody's like, "Oh my God, Apple's going to give you four point something. This is awesome." I was watching a video about it, and then I read the comment below. I was reading the comments, and one comment said, "Yeah, but." They, Apple wants you to get in the debt in order to get that because they want you to first, they won't let you get that savings account unless you have a credit card with them and their credit card APY is like 22%. So they just want you to be in debt before you do that. And then another person was like, no, stupid. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I'm trying to be mean to the person, but they were like, no, stupid. You pay off your credit card each month and then you don't have to worry about that APY. It's not supposed to be that you're getting into debt for it. You're just using it. Pay, only buy it, something if you got cash, which is what my family would tell me. Only use your cash to buy it, right? Cool. But there's an extension to that. Use a credit card to buy it. Then use the cash that you have to pay it off. And exactly. then you get benefits from that. So Exactly. It's definitely things that we just need to understand. It's more than what our immediate community has taught us. Because why do I want to learn how to become wealthy from someone who is not wealthy? Yeah, no. <laughs> well, anyway. So, Jacqueline, since time we're short on time a bit, but this conversation is too big, too powerful for us to condense into just one. So we're going to have to do multiple of these, too. But I want to run through a quick segment that we do each time on here. It's called pop. All right. So I want you to help us to pop the financial planning and the wealth creation and generational wealth concepts. So we want to talk about pros of financial planning. Right. We want to talk about the opportunities, why you should really look into this now, because there's a lot of things coming that is going to benefit you even more. So what are those opportunities? And then the problems. So instead of multiple, though, I want you to do the main one for each of this, the main pro, you would say, the main opportunity and the main problem that people need to take into account. Mm, So the main pro that I would say for you doing financial planning is the clarity. Mm. Do I have 30 seconds to elaborate? Okay. For sure. So it's the clarity, all right? So let me give you all a quick situation. So I had a woman call me up. She was like, hey, I'm 63. I have $700,000 saved and I don't know what to do. Now, this woman caused me with so much anxiety because she's looking for a part-time job and she can't find one at 63. She also tells me she's an immigrant from Colombia. And so she basically lived with the scarcity mindset her whole life. And that's how she was able to save $700,000 and have a paid off condo for four or $500,000. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling her, look, I can use an insurance product and I can get you $60,000 a year guaranteed money. So you don't have to worry about the stock market going up and down. You don't have to worry about any of that. I can get you $60,000 a year guaranteed. What are you going to go make from a part-time job? $40,000, $50,000? She was like, yeah. I said, okay, problem solved. All you have to do is start executing the money that you have saved. Problem solved. This woman had such a scarcity mindset ingrained in her that she couldn't not have a job. This is a 63-year-old woman. 
So don't be so ingrained in what you've been taught. Unlearn and relearn. Because chances are there's a better way to do what you've been doing. So the pro of financial planning is getting that financial clarity so that you can shake off that scarcity mindset so that you don't have to live every day with anxiety because you're not supposed to live in financial anxiety. That's not a state you're supposed to be in your whole life. If you've been in that state, we've got to figure out how to get you financial clarity so that you can get stable so that you don't have to pass on that trauma to your kids. Wait, 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 I got to give you a little story, too, because you just you just inspired me to remember something. And it was somebody that I presented a an opportunity for. Right. It was like, hey, there's this acquisition I'm going in. And I don't remember the amounts right now, but let's say let's say it pays out five hundred thousand in profit per year. Right. And we were going to get into it and increase the valuation to let's say 5 million in five years, right? It's like, say it's 2 million now and then 5 million in five years, something like that. And when I laid it all out in the investor, like the prospectus of, of the of the acquisition, and I, I was speaking to somebody in particular and they were like, oh man, bees, yeah, I like it, but you know, you know, I'll be trying, I want to, I want the, like the bigger payouts. I want something, you know, I'm trying to get the things that's going to get me like, you know, a million and a, and a half or something. I was like, you know, that 500,000 per year is what I just said. It's not, that's the final payment. And we're going to exit at 5 million in five years. Are you not looking at the bigger picture? He's like, oh, well, I don't know. I was just, you know, I need something that can get paid out. You know, I, I just want to get like to a million and a half. I was like, bro, hold on. 500,000 that you would get per year. And he couldn't understand what I was saying. And what are you at? 40,000 right now? Exactly. It it made no sense to me. It made no sense to me, but it's hard to. You're not ready. You're not ready. And it's hard to break people's mindset, but you know, we still try. But let's let's keep yeah, we still try. Okay, okay, because we can go on and on about that. <laughs> so opportunity in the financial planning space. So in financial planning, you've got just a multitude of opportunities, right? So this is where having somebody who is non-traditional that can focus on the wealth creation space with you is really, really key. Okay. So again, mm-hmm. finding somebody like myself, who can help you understand, all right, are you in the wealth creation phase or are you in the wealth management phase? Okay. Cause we first need to evaluate that because the story that I gave you about the woman with the $700,000 saved at 63, she's not doing any business acquisitions. She's just not right. She's looking for a part-time job. She's not about to do that. She's in the wealth management phase. Okay. So if you're in the wealth creation phase, the opportunities are endless. Okay. There's so many opportunities. B just put one up there for me. I don't know that I'm going to be able to execute on that one, but that may be an opportunity for somebody else. So there's a ton of opportunities out there. Remember we talked about using real estate. We talked about using business acquisitions. We talked about using the stock market. Okay. Endless opportunities in all three of those fields, no matter what's going on with the US dollar, no matter what's going on with the economy, right? It's not a recession. Okay. What it is, is you just need to figure out where the money is flowing because that money is still flowing somewhere. You just need to be the person that the money is flowing to. Your business needs to be who that money is flowing to. Okay. So no more, no more victim mindsets. Okay. No more. Oh, you know, my money's recessing. Oh, the economy is going down. 
I barely even touch on that with clients. The most that I'm really touching on that is with my clients who are in the wealth management phase. And I'm saying, hey, what can we do to get you guaranteed income? Okay. So there's plenty of opportunities in this space. We just need to figure out what suits you. Because the worst thing that you can do is to start thinking that you can do everything and then start trying to execute on doing everything. Because your wealth is going to be built through concentration. All right. Once you've built your wealth through concentration, then you can diversify. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then that's how you're going to preserve your wealth. All right. Yeah. So wealth is built through concentration and it is preserved through diversification. All yeah, right. Yeah. So we yeah, got to yeah. figure out what's the thing that you're going to do. That's going to be your bread and butter. And like you were saying, be like, maybe that one thing is what yields him a half a million dollars. Now, maybe that's that one thing that yields you a half a million dollars right now. And you kind of got to figure out what's a good opportunity, right? Like I was able to look at the the option that he put on the screen and I was like, well, I'm not really sure that I've grew with that asking price, right? So get to the point where you understand the opportunity, what's in front of you and how much money you can make from that. And I like to say how you can maximize that opportunity. Okay. So how can you maximize that opportunity in front of you? Okay. Okay. So I'll also throw in one last opportunity too, is that, I believe we're on the cusp of another like transcendental shift in technology. If you were on, you know, ahead of the time and ready when the internet ever began, you know, into nineties and going on, right. And that shift and how we could take advantage of it. If you were, you know, up and up in front and ready, you probably could have made some good money. Well, what's happening about to happen with AI it's kind of like that again. So start thinking about that from now, right? And start thinking about and speaking with an actual licensed certified planner, financial planner who could say, hey, well, maybe there are things that you could do like this related to that. In the very least, you need to be keeping up to date with what's going on in the industry and new changes with it, but start speaking to your financial planner and seeing what you could potentially do to be ahead of the game when that shift happens as well. Would you yeah, agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I've even got clients that I'm investing specifically in our crypto fund and mm. into our AI funds. So we Here can we be you know, ahead of the curve there. Cause those companies are just going to make crazy money. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So now we get to the most important thing, the problems, right? What would you say is the problems, things that you got to be aware of, be, you know, before or while you are dealing with a financial planner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll circle back to, it's just the way that our industry is designed, right? Anybody can go get their 65 in three months and call themselves a financial advisor. So I would just say, you know, be cautious of who you're working with and who you're taking advice from. So, you know, that's one of the problems in this industry is everybody has an opinion on what you should do with your money, right? Your, your grandpa has an opinion on what you should do with your money. Right. And so I will say that again, it depends on what phase you're in. So if you are in the wealth creation phase, I don't want to hear anything about a CD. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I just yeah. I don't want to hear anything about. It. I saw this guy on randomly this TikTok video where this guy who makes T-shirts was talking about CDs, and he was like, "You go get this twelve-month CD as paying you five point five percent." I was like, "Why are we talking about CDs anyways? <laughs> like, make make it make sense. CDs are not for wealth creation. 
See, these are really not for anything, but technically they're wealth management, right? I don't ever use yeah. CDs with clients. There's way too many other investment opportunities. So exactly. the problems are you listening to somebody who doesn't know what all the investment options are out there and somebody who is not keen with the times, okay? There we go. So we that, go. that's what I say is a problem. So be careful with that one. And, and somebody that is trying to give you a cookie cutter approach. Right. Yeah. Because there's no cookie cutter approach to it. That's why Jacqueline said in the beginning that it's, you, you know, you, based on your situation, mm-hmm. that's how you're going to uh, you know, come up with a plan. It's not based on, hey, this is the template for doing it. No, it's what's your situation. Let's evaluate that and create a solution that's perfect for you. So exactly. I love it. I love it. So, Jacqueline, I have one last thing to say to you, and it is a challenge that I have. I think I've already spoken to you about this. We may, it, we may have been online last year when the challenge came up. As a matter of fact, I, I have a feeling it, it was. Hmm. And the challenge is called the Trillion Dollar Table Challenge. Have you heard of that already? Have I mentioned that to you before? I don't think so. Refresh my memory. Okay, so let me refresh it. So the Trillion Dollar Table Challenge, by the end of this decade, that's seven years from now, we got time, right? By the end of this decade, I want to sit in a room at a table with people who look like us, and we have a trillion dollars AUM, assets under management, right? Even that's a concept that some people don't understand because they think, oh, you're going to have a trillion dollars in your pocket? No, I did not say that. We own portfolios of businesses, real estate, et cetera, all together that totals to a valuation of a trillion dollars combined with all of us. Now, I know that I could get to a billion dollars in this in that period of time. Will you be at that table with me adding to the trillion dollar table? I'll be adding. There we go. There we go. That is the challenge. And you already know the ways to do it. We already spoke about the main ways of creating wealth, real estate, businesses. You've already acquired businesses. Now you're looking at maybe you do a large LBO. Then you got resources like me that can help you with anything that you need for that. This is it. We will be successors of the trillion dollar challenge so that we can pass it on to the next generation to continue it going forward. I love that. Can you all drop a yes in the chat if you are going to be joining us at the table? Yeah, let's go. (laughs) All right. All right. So Jacqueline, tell everybody where they can find you online or wherever else. So we'll put it in the description below too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You guys can always find me at Jacqueline plans on all social media platforms, J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E-P-L-A-N-S. And when you find me, you know, my link in bio or my website will take you to everything that you need. Awesome. Awesome. So y'all definitely check out Jacqueline at Jacqueline plans on all social media. Drop it in the the description below for everyone, but y'all already know what to do. This has been another episode of entrepreneurship exposed. And we went into the financial planning industry, financial planners, generational wealth, and so much more. So make sure that you already like and subscribe to this channel, to this, wherever you're listening to it on a podcast, whatever it may be, but make sure you also comment, make sure you also give some feedback. If you want to make sure that you don't miss any of these calls, these messages, these, this information, then make sure you have your notification bells turned on and you will 
be you won't be you won't be sad. That's all I can say. You're yeah. gonna be smiling like me nonstop because the things that we're talking about is just so amazing. But Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward for our next IG live, and I'm looking forward to so much more. And I'm looking forward to see you acquiring your next large LBO. <laughs> we're gonna make it a whole thing. We'll document the whole process. Let's go. I love that. You already know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank right. you. All right, everybody. Have a great day and see you at the next episode.